Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4 Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and in this episode, my guest is Golf Week senior writer Beth Ann Nichols. In the podcast you're about to hear, we discuss the LPGA Tour and how it is handling the COVID-19 pandemic and what Commissioner Mike Wan wants to see before that tour begins again. We also talk about the Korean LPGA Tour restarting this week, and Beth Ann tells me what it was like to chat with golfer and influencer Blair O'Neill, who recently gave birth to her first child, a little boy, whose name is Chrome. You heard that right. Chrome. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Back Book, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the Take Anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So I want to bring on Beth Ann Nichols. Beth Ann is down in sunny, warm Florida. We're getting warmer here in Connecticut. We did, though, have a hailstorm yesterday, which covered my back deck, Beth Ann, with uh, about a quarter of an inch of pea-sized hail. It, uh, it's been just insult after insult during this whole pandemic. I mean, as if it, that wasn't terrible enough as it is. We had snow here in Connecticut on Saturday. Mother's Day, thankfully, warmed up. Then we had thunderstorms and hailstorms. I'm waiting for the locusts and the toads to come in because it's pretty much been everything. How are you guys doing down there? Yeah, I'm on the. You can't see me shaking my head and laughing at you, but uh, but yeah, it's uh. We just complain about, you know, it being too hot. That's pretty much it. Uh, we've had some really nice weather, and then we've had, you know, it hovering around the 90s, uh, low 90s, so that, you know, but but really, listening to you, we can't complain. <laughs> I called my mom like a good son, dutifully, on Mother's Day, Sunday, and I did it in the evening because I knew that she was going to be puttering around and doing some stuff, and I wanted to try and FaceTime with her, with the kids, and, and, and things like that. And I called the house at first at 7.30 at night, and there was no answer. I'm like, well, I don't think she's playing golf. I, I hope not. I mean, you know, whatever. And she calls back, and it's dark. And this is like something out of like a, a Seinfeld episode where like, you know, Costanza's dad or something like that, you know, can't work the technology. And I'm like, Mom, why, why is it totally black? She's like, oh, I'm out taking a walk. It's lovely. It's 82 degrees here in Bradenton, Florida, which is where she lives. And... uh I thought I would just go out for a nice stroll in the evening since it's cooled down. And literally, like, our hearts just collectively sank. We just didn't need to hear how great it was. She's been playing. You know, she went out. She, she played some golf. Her husband, you know, shot a high number. So he's like, maybe I should quit. I'm like, oh, we've reached that stage of the pandemic where we're fortunate enough to, to be playing golf once again in Florida. 
but now you know we, we hit a couple wayward drives and now we want to quit. Okay, we're, we've reached that part of flattening the curve. So there, there's that. When uh, you have not been playing golf though, you've been busy, right? Yeah, uh, my last round of golf was Players Week. Um, but my my muni was shut down for for quite a while. Uh, it only it only recently opened up um, earlier this month. Uh, but I, I I plan to get out there next week and 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 give it a go and and you know I'm sure the first round usually the first round back is pretty good. It's the second yeah, one. Great, yeah. It's the second one that's reality. So I'm looking forward to the first one though. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Maybe we can just go to the first one and just call it a day. Hey, do you and your husband cook at home? We have a tradition here at our house since all this has been going on where every Friday we order in from a different local small restaurant. You know, we, we've gotten to be friends with some people here in our community and we want to try and support them as much as we can. And it gives us a break from cooking. But but have you traditionally before everything got going, do you guys cook? Do you do you like to go out to restaurants when you and, and hubs are home or how do you guys work it? Well, uh, you know, I travel a lot, obviously, and uh, and I eat out all the time. But then my husband, you know, he hasn't been eating out, and so he always wants to eat out when I get home because I'm finally home. Uh, but he, so that that doesn't help my diet. Um, but he also loves to cook, and um, so during the pandemic, uh, he you know he cooked a lot of uh, early on cooked a lot of his favorites, and um, which are good but not healthy, and so. Uh, so we've reached the point now where, uh, you know, my, my diet has resumed. So he cooks for himself. I cook for myself. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we've, we've had periods of that at our house too, where the, we, we make something for the kids and then we make something for, what is, what has been your favorite thing that, that he has made either healthy or unhealthy so far during, uh, during your time at home? Well, I mean, it's it's simple, but um, Ben does a wonderful taco salad. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong you know, with that. It depends on what you put on it, of course. And and he he, you know, has all the good stuff. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so it's yeah. good. Yeah. So I bring this up. My wife Charlene has upped her game. So we, when we're home, we cook actually quite a bit. We've got two kids, and going out to dinner with four people too often can be pretty expensive. And we we both like to cook. And when we lived in New York City, we cooked actually for New York people quite a bit. My son, who's a pretty good eater, and my daughter, who's who's 10, Lindsay, who's a great eater, have been real troopers about, you know, being willing to try new things. And, and there have been one or two mishits, but a lot of 300-yard drives. Charlene has been totally on her game. Charlie went back. We make menus for the week, and then I'll go and shop for seven to ten days worth of stuff so that we don't have to go out too much right now but we've got everything on hand we're not hoarding but but we're set right so he goes back and he finds the menus for like the last five or six weeks and writes down his 16 he and his sister talk and they have their 16 favorite meals that they've had over the last like seven weeks he then makes a bracket and he made like an ncaa style bracket and said we had to sit down and next week was going to be a quarantine's best meal week and so um he 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 put tacos actually ben's tacos tacos was the came in as the one seed in the east region um <laughs> hey that's my boy <laughs> my uh my he then there was, there was instant pot ramen was a number two seed from the southeast my chicken wings which i do a mean chicken wing by the way uh was a three seed in the midwest and then from the western bracket was this korean beef bowl 
that we all really like, which is sort of meat and spices over brown rice, white rice for the kids. And um, there were a couple upsets. There was the classic 512 upset. You know, we, we've all seen it with the, the Instant Pot Beef Stroganoff taking out the, uh, the buffalo chicken meatballs. Um, and then we ended up with the final four of tacos and the aforementioned Korean beef bowls with the Instant Pot Ramen and Dave's Wings. The, the, uh, the ramen ended up winning. I was, it was a little bit of an upset. It wasn't necessarily Villanova over Georgetown, but it was a little bit of an upset. And, and I was actually proud of him for getting into it. And this is why someday he's going to have Iron Eagle's job because he, he just, he loves to do this kind of thing. I was, I was proud of the boys. So, uh, our menu is pretty much cardiac arrest inducing next week. Cause, cause now you've got two tweens who are basically running the show, cheeseburger, pasta, tacos, beef stroganoff. He, he basically, the winner got to go on Sunday night with the ramen. Um, everybody's had to, to make it, you know, adaptations and adapt to, to, to doing this. I was proud of the boy. And I know that you and I've had a couple of meals and stuff like that. I know you're a little bit of a food, a food person. I thought you would enjoy that one. The, um, it, it was pretty, I was just, I was a proud dad. It was basically like when he asked me last fall when we still had sports going on, why he and I didn't go in and, uh, and do a couple team parlay with the Patriots and the Chiefs when they, when we could get it at plus 250. And I was like, part of me was afraid that at the time a 14 year old knew the gambling nuances enough like that. And part of me was kind of proud that, that my son understood that. Yeah, the the Chiefs and the Patriots is probably a pretty steady parlay. If you could get them on the plus side, that was probably going to be a pretty good thing. You might want to have salads the rest of the week, though, in preparation. Charlene basically said, we are going to be having fruit smoothies every morning and salads every day for lunch. And we have to work out every day or else uh, one of one of our friends, I'm sure it's made its way around to everybody's Facebook page. The picture of the person looking at you from the screen that said, basically, when we all come out on the other side of this, we're both going to need Weight Watchers and AA. You know, it's gonna be, <laughs> like it's it's going to be pretty ugly. The PGA Tour is announcing tomorrow. We're recording this lunchtime on Tuesday. The PGA Tour is making some announcements on Wednesday morning about how they're going to try and go about restarting men's professional golf. Uh, that's scheduled for the beginning of June at Colonial, the Charles Schwab Challenge. Then the plan, as we know it now, is to go to Hilton Head and then up here to my region playing at TPC River Highlands in the Travelers Championship. What is the state of the women's golf and LPGA Tour golf here in the U.S. as it stands right now? Well, uh, Mike Juan is is operating on a 45-day-out um, schedule, basically, where, where he assesses everything 45 days out. So right now, the LPGA is set mm-hmm. to resume in mid-July at, at the team event uh, in Michigan, the Dow. But uh, he'll reassess everything the first of June and, and see where they're at and, 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 you know, if it's all systems go and what exactly that means in terms of, um, you know, protocol and structure and, and, and whatnot. So, so it's, it's interesting because, you know, the LPGA is starting out with an unusual format in the team event. Uh, which should be fun because, you know, I'm, I'm, if, if all goes as planned, you know, we'll get the rollout of, of who's playing with who and, uh, and players will get to uh, start out by saying, uh, I'm sorry a lot, I'm sure, <laughs> at their first event to their partner. Just like us. <laughs> so, or, or try not to say I'm sorry, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, so, so that, that'll, you know, that'll be a fun way to ease back into it, I guess. What are the things that they're going to be looking for? The PGA Tour said, obviously, the testing and making sure that 
the safety of the players is first and foremost, and the safety of everybody who might be on site. What what are some of the things that that Mike Wan and the LPGA Tour have expressed they they need to do or need to be assured are going to be in place before they would want to bring the women back out on tour? Well, I I mean, testing is certainly um, a paramount. You know, we need to make sure that players are going to be able to get into the country. Uh, It's, it's, you know, a lot of of folks, most folks went home because they knew this was going to be a long stretch. uh, And a lot of them went overseas. And so, um, you know, what, what's the quarantine situation going to be like for coming in from overseas? And, um, and then, you know, players are really concerned about, you know, the locker room and, and dining because that's where everybody uh, congregates. So so what will that look like? Um, you know, the KLPGA actually kicks off this week in, in Korea with a major championship and they have a, a temporary clubhouse set up for players. So um, there are no fans at, at, at the championship, but uh, members are allowed to go into the, the regular clubhouse uh, and then then. Okay. I know. And then players are, are in in, a, in the temporary clubhouse and they have their own walking paths and everything. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes off. Um, you know, there's still just a lot of question marks. Juan wasn't concerned based on his conversations that, that they'd had, you know, with the White House and with Trump and their, their understanding of, of how many tests are going to be available, you know, by the time the LPGA, come, you know, rolls around that, that, that being able to get tests wasn't going to be um, an issue. Uh, but you know, that it's, it's how often are you going to test, you know, and, and are you do temperature checks every day? You know, that all those types of questions, um, how many media, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what it'll look like. How, how many volunteers and a lot, a lot of questions remain unanswered. (laughs) The counter. An NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Steven Ruiz and Chris Corman. I know people are like just assuming that this is an upgrade at the quarterback position, but I don't think we could say that for a fact. I'd say it's, it's a downgrade. He never really had game-to-game impact just coming off the edge and destroying people that we thought when we saw his athleticism in college and at the combine. And- the Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Listen and subscribe to The Counter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that going around, and that's okay. I mean, we're, we're still a ways out, it sounds like, from the LPGA Tour beginning, and so there's not... I don't think any need to have every question answered. But one of the things in speaking with some people and some of my sources at the PGA Tour is that they're going to try and prepare to host these events, um, you know, the aforementioned one at Colonial and and then the other events that are coming up on the schedule. They want to get everything running as and certainly plan on running them. But then if they feel that it's going to be inappropriate or they're not going to be able to do it safely, they will cancel the events at a time much closer than they would otherwise. And the rationale behind that is it's much easier to stop an event and not run it once you sort of realize things are happening or, or you sort of take a, l- a look around and, and see what's happening than it is to say, well, actually, we could do this. Let's just get everybody here really quickly. And it's not that we want to get everybody's hopes up just to dash them at this point, but 
that sort of makes sense. Um, they're also, it sounds like, going to be looking at every one of these markets, whether it's starting out in Fort Worth, Texas, um, going again to Hilton Head, South Carolina, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, and then so on, eventually getting to Detroit, some of these other places. Each one of these venues has to be looked at individually as the, I think the optics of coming back is something very much in the forefront of the mind of at least the PGA Tour in that if people are suffering, if people can't get testing, if people are in certain communities where they are not well, they're not in a good situation, how does it look to have lots of testing, whether the players on the PGA Tour are getting tested daily, which I suspect is going to be the case, um, how many tests would that take? Where are they going to be? And are they taking tests from a community where they might be needed elsewhere? Um, that might come into play in Hartford. Um, being a Connecticut person, we are trending down both in hospitalizations as well as fatalities. Um, all the numbers are trending in a really good way here in Connecticut. But that doesn't mean that there isn't need for tests. We, we are amping, ramping up our testing here, which is great. Um, but But the way that this is going to look especially to people outside of these local communities, seems to be something very much at the forefront of the mind of the PGA Tour. Is that also probably going to be true for the LPGA Tour? Or because they're going to maybe be coming in a little bit later, is that not really something that you're sensing they're concerning themselves with at this point? Well, you know, the last conference call that we had with Mike Wan a few weeks ago, that very question was asked. Uh, and, and, and that was when he came back with the, the response that, from what I've learned from the White House, by the end of May, we'll have plenty of tests available. So, um, mm -hmm. so he didn't think that it was going to be a case of the tour was getting tests and and you know Joe Public wasn't able to. Um, that that was that was that information you know that he had several weeks ago. Now you know how that changes and you know what actually comes to pass is you know anyone's guess. But um, sure. but he didn't really seem to to think that that was going to be a hang-up by the time, you know, mid-July rolls around. Um, what's interesting, though, um, you know, yesterday came out of the the Scottsdale event uh, on the range there that the PGA Tour will have charter flights. Um, I was I was going to ask you about this. So, so, yeah, as we reported in Golf Week, it sounds like, according to Kevin Streelman, the PGA Tour is looking to charter planes and basically take the players from one venue to another. Is that even a remote possibility for the LPGA Tour? You know, they've, they've, they have done that, um, you know, for some overseas events. It's not unheard of um, whether or not, you know, I mean, every week, I, I can't possibly imagine that's a, a possibility uh, that it would be week in and week out. I, I ran the question up the flagpole at the LPGA, and I'm, I'm waiting to hear back, you know, if that's in the, the works for certain events. Um, you know, on the PGA Tour, I, I would imagine you'll have a lot of players that'll just want to, you know, <laughs> they don't want to get on a, a flight with, you know, 100, 150 other people or whatever. They, they'll they just get their private jet with, you know, two or three other people and, and share it and, and, and that'll be that. Um, and so I think on the LPGA, their version of that will be uh, getting in their cars and driving everywhere. Well, which is, it's just something that brings up. You, you and I have talked about this in the past, and and these unbelievable, sadly, you know, circumstances that we're all living in now really brings out once again the inequality in sport between men's sport and women's sport. In this case, golf. Um, when it comes to winnings and prize money and purses and and the overall 
level of compensation that happens. I mean, here we are talking about um, the PGA Tour having the financial means to take players and caddies. I haven't heard if it's wives and kids that might be traveling along, but people, quote unquote, inside the bubble that they're going to try and create. So figure three or 400 people and be able to get a couple of chartered planes that are going to go from wherever, you know, from spot to spot, venue to venue to put on, you know, these events. And there's going to be prize money. And I'm sure a lot of players, and it'll be great, will donate prize money to various causes and charities. Um, And here's the LPGA Tour, world-class players themselves. And I would imagine not just, well, the purses you know, be smaller, obviously, than, than the men's tour. We know that. But the ability for them to be able to put on their tournaments and to hold their events and what the players will have to do in order to compete, like how much more of a burden they're going to have to shoulder. You know, as you're saying, driving from place to place, um, it's it's going to be a lot. It's it's something that just it just makes it that much more glaring, the disparity. And I don't know if there's a question in there, but um, how much and this is maybe not even a fair question for me to ask, how much does this whole pandemic and what it's doing to sport set back the movement of trying to get women's golf and women's sport equality from from a financial standpoint? Uh, How much does it sort of stop it in its tracks? Hmm. That's a good question because what I I really um, appreciated from what, you know, Mike Wan was saying, uh, you, you know, he really drove home the point that they just can't think about 2020 and just how to make 2020 the best it can be that that's not really what they're thinking it's more you know keeping our spawn our which is Juan's word the LPGA sponsors um you know happy and and you know looking ahead to 2022 you know like you know he's still taking a long-term perspective not do whatever we can you know to to force something to happen in 2020 you know, he's, he wants to make sure that when we're on the other side of this pandemic that that they're still as strong now as, as they were going into this year. So, um, it I mean, it's, it's a good question because, you know, I think the LPGA, if you look at the schedule and what they're trying to do, uh, has a lot of loyal partners. And you, and you, you have actually an increase in purses uh, for the, the remainder of the year because some events that aren't uh, being held this year, uh, put some more money in a pot for the purses to increase other events. So, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So I mean, I, I I mean, you have strong, strong partnerships, but it really boils down to you know what is our economy really going to look like, you know, and and we we really don't know, you know, well, how much of a U curve bounce back this is going to be. We don't know how long we're going to be shut down. You know, it's is this thing going to come back and we're going to have, you know, another, you know, version 2.0 of this? Uh, heaven forbid. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's it's a good question. But whenever something like this happens, the women certainly feel it a lot worse than the men. They, they certainly do. And, and that's really sort of what I was getting at is that women's golf seemed to be starting to make some ground. And there were there were more tournaments that, you know, the schedule is getting richer. Um, it was getting a deeper schedule. You've already had a global schedule, which I think is is fantastic. All these things started to feel positive. And if corporate America and and th- those of us who are you know out there working are feeling the economic burden, and we all are, obviously, unemployment being at fifteen or twenty percent already in the u s. and I haven't heard anybody say that it's going to go back down anytime soon. if If dollars are tight 
then one of the things that's real easy for these big companies to start trimming is sports marketing and and those kinds of things, sponsorship of events, and maybe they fulfill things that they're contractually obligated to do in 2020, but take a look at their contracts and take a look at different things and like, is there a way for us to not spend this $2 million? Is there a way that we can save you know, 700,000 here, a million there, because we need to retain people. We'd rather keep our employees than spend it on this. I, I don't necessarily fault them for that because those are jobs. But at the same time, those are also represent opportunities for the women on the LPGA tour and, and other sports as well. And so as the economy is going great and is strengthening, there's more opportunities, which seems like such an obvious thing to say. I'm worried that the LPGA Tour's opportunities for growth, which seemed like they were right there, um, marketable stars coming up and more and more opportunities, it gets hindered yet again as we come out of this. And um, you had mentioned a little bit before the Korean LPGA Tour resuming. What do you know about that event and what are they doing over there to try and, from what you understand, make that tournament actually happen? Well, it's a major, so that's kind of funny. It's their first event of the of 2020. Uh, they played one event in December, um, and so it's the first event of the of the year, first event on Korean soil uh, for the for the season. And and um, yeah, they're they're making players sanitize their clubs, um, social distance. Uh, like I said, the temporary clubhouse, temperature checks. Uh, because the Korean system is different, there won't be coronavirus testing on site um, because they do tracking differently in Korea and they're further along on this journey than we are. Um, yep. But, you know, they, they I know they filled out a questionnaire um, prior to, to coming to the event. So um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, it's a it's a. It's, it's, you know, it's a trial and error sort of thing to see what works and, and what they need to change going forward, I'm sure. But one, one thing that's interesting that Juan said, you know, he's like, look, I, I you know, he's like in talking to, to, to the LPGA board, you know, he said I was bragging about the fact that the LPGA has such a, a strong stance um, globally and, and what a strong position they're in. He's like, you know, we've, we've weathered recessions in all these other parts of the country, but they don't really feel it to a big degree because they're, I mean, uh, I mean, all over the world because they're in so many different countries. He's like, I never envisioned that there would be a pandemic that would rock the economy of every country. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, so, you know, yeah. you, you have, uh, you have your, your eggs in all these different baskets thinking that you have enough variety to withstand anything. And then something impacts the entire globe and you're like, Oh my gosh. But, but, I mean, the LPGA has never been in a better position to weather such a storm. So you try to look at the positives. And and they have a leader that, you know, the players uh, all support 100% and, and have a tremendous amount of confidence in. And, that, and, and, and he, his specialty is partnerships. And that those relationships are really what it comes down to at the end of the day, you know, if someone's going to take the risk and sign that check. We all like to help our friends, and um, I think that, as you say, golf is is a relationship business. Uh, relationships are huge in, in your business and mine, the way that we operate. It's certainly a big part about how tournaments operate, players operate, um, the corporations and the companies that help to sponsor these events. Relationships matter. It's a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true, and um, 
yeah, I, I, I'm hopeful that at some point in the future, hopefully the near future and not the far off future, but hopefully as near as it can be safely, that the LPGA Tour has an opportunity to really shine and show off the fantastic product that it has because you know it's it, it's it deserves it the women out there deserve to to be recognized they deserve the fans to to be able to see them play and i don't want to see the lpga tour have to contract the schedule because sponsors simply aren't there and as you as you mentioned the relationships will go a long way in helping to if helping to make sure that corporations that can tear that check are willing to stand by their friends and mike Wan and his team deserve a lot of credit, as you sort of point out, to have put themselves in that position. They're, they're there should the opportunity present itself. The LPGA Tour will be there to, to take advantage of that opportunity. And that's, that's as you do, good as you can do, right? Yeah, that's absolutely as good as you can do. I mean, um, you know, you, I, I, I really don't know that Mike Wan could, could do much more than he's already done uh, to this point to, to, to be ready for such a day as this. And, um, and you know it'll it'll you know like I say it's just up to to how how this virus you know continues throughout the course of the rest of the year as to what you know how much damage is really done. So uh, one of the cool things on GolfWeek.com over the last several weeks has been Beth Ann's Stuck at Home with series, and leading on the homepage right now is Stuck at Home with Blair O'Neill, and uh, as if all of us haven't had enough life changing things going on over the past, you know, eight to 10 weeks, um, Blair O'Neill had a baby <laughs> and that, that I can tell you from having, you know, been a new dad twice, that means that there is, um, precious little sleep. Uh, there's all kinds of great things going on, but all kinds of frightening things going on as well. Explain to people or tell people a little bit about what's been happening with her and, and what was your experience like getting to find out what's going on at her house? Yeah. You know, I have to say, um, I started off the interview by just thanking her multiple times because, you know, I was quite aware that she just had a baby a month ago. So she's operating on very little sleep. And most people don't go back to work, shall we say, you know, within a month of, of having a baby. Usually people take a little bit more time for maternity leave. So so to take a work call, um, you know, I was I was really grateful to her. And, and she... Gosh, you know, she said she just had a five-hour stretch of sleep, which was the most that they've had uh, since um, since she came home with little Chrome, and uh, you know, operating on generally one to three hours. And uh, and she said it was super. She used the word super twice. It was quote super super stressful <laughs> dealing with yeah. you know all of this coronavirus uh, question marks going into her pregnant going into the delivery, and um, you know, for a, a while there, she was really worried that her husband wouldn't be able to be there uh, when, when Chrome was born uh, because they weren't allowing any visitors at all. Uh, and that was really scary to her because she's a, a first-time mom and, and didn't want to go go in there alone. And I, I don't blame her. So, um, and, and it's been, it's been interesting too, because, you know, and I, I really hadn't thought about this till she started talking about it, that, that no one in her family had been able to, to see the baby. Um, until Mother's Mother's Day weekend, her her mother was coming over on Sunday. I spoke with her on Saturday, but her mother was coming on Sunday to to meet Chrome for the first time. You know, would be wearing a mask, but she's like, you know, my my son's 
you know, been on this earth for, for a little over a month now. And, and as far as he knows, you know, the only two people in, literally in the world are the two of us. And, and the only place in the world is this house, <laughs> you know, like that literally, you know, met no one else after, after the delivery room. So, um, so that's, that's tough, you know, you're really on your own there. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, I, it's, you know, Five hours of sleep at one month is pretty good. I and mean, if you've got five hours of sleep, I know that my wife and I would have probably given a toe. I don't know that we would have given a finger, but we would have given a toe for about five or six hours worth of straight sleep at that four to six week mark because that's when the the kids are really starting to wake up. And But they don't necessarily differentiate day and night. Like they haven't, the sleep training thing hasn't always kicked in at that point. So they're, they're off. There's no schedule, but but the baby makes the schedule. Um, it's yeah. Where the, the last place that I would want to be right now is in a hospital. You know, either, that is not where you want to be these days. And to potentially go by yourself for your first child, I am glad that her husband was able to do that. Beth Ann, I appreciate you giving me a little bit of time. Um, I, I from what I understand, your husband probably had the um, the shrimp burgers on a parlay with the beef stroganoff. I'm sorry to say that in Charlie Dusek's draft, the shrimp burgers lost in the first round of tacos, but it was worth a bet. It was worth a flyer. You know, you put two bucks to show on that. Um, stay safe down there. I'll look forward to talking to you real soon. Thanks once again for coming on the Ford Prize. Likewise. Thank you. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.